0: So our reading came from 1 Kings 19, which is uh, the reading from the lectionary for the, the, the writings or the Hebrew scriptures for this day. And it's the story of where Elijah, the great prophet, Elijah or Eliyahu, whose name means the Lord is my God or Yahweh is my deity. Elijah, this great prophet, is in a bad situation. And he's suffering what some clinicians might call clinical depression. He's suffering suicidal ideation. And he's even saying, just take my life, oh God. There's nothing more for me to do in this time. But it's a long journey to this point. And at this point is not where the journey ends either. It's just where we land with our scripture reading for today. The story goes back a couple chapters to when there was a new king and a new queen in town, Ahab and Jezebel. Jezebel gets a bad rap, but Ahab was right there with her the whole time. And Ahab and Jezebel, they were worshiping these other gods, these these bealim, or bells, or also called these uh, asherath, And they were different expressions of human desires in a sense. So in ancient times, if you wanted there to be rain when there's a drought, you pray to this god. When you want to win a war, you pray to this god. And so there's a pantheon of deities. But already it had been established that there is one god. reigns over all of creation and this is the God of the Hebrew people and now we have Ahab and Jezebel as with many of the the monarchs of ancient Israel pursuing other deities to meet their needs and to meet their heart's desire and Elijah is zealous for God Elijah Loves the Lord and, and wants to serve the Most High God with all that is within the power of Elijah. And Elijah, through the power of God's Spirit in him, realizes that there's going to be a drought. And he begins to prophesy there will be a drought for three years. No rain will fall. The earth will be as if it's scorched. It will be a time of great sorrow for many. And so he leaves, because he begins to be pursued and persecuted by Ahab and Jezebel and those that they've set out after him. And he goes into a canyon, and he's there for quite a long time. It doesn't say exactly how long, but he's there so long that he can't find food for himself. And ravens, these majestic black birds, feed him while he's there. And he's able to drink from the wadi, from the, the river canyon. So he's nourished and he's sustained, but it comes to a point where the river is dried up and he can't hydrate himself anymore. And the Word of God directs Elijah to go to Zarephath, which is outside of the covenanted land of the Hebrew people, outside of Canaan, outside of Palestine. And he goes there and he meets this widow, who he's directed to. There are many widows in the time of Elijah. That's what Jesus says in his first sermon. There are many widows. And it's because there was famine. And it's because a lot of people had died. I imagine some heads of household said, I'm out of here, I'm going to try to fend for myself and just survive. And so he goes with this widow and there's more miracles and she doesn't have any flour and she doesn't have any oil and he says just bake me a cake and give me some water and there will be enough for everyone thus saith the Lord and she says okay perhaps less out of faith and more out of the radical hospitality that we still see in many of these cultures today and she says I will make you that cake but afterwards my son and I are going to eat a little cake and have a little oil and we're going to die. They were desperate. There was nothing left for them. And by God's grace, by God's miraculous powers, they were sustained for quite a long time. It doesn't say how long exactly, but for quite a long time, they were still able to make this bread, this cake, and have oil, and they were able to stay hydrated. The son got so sick that he had died, and Elijah resurrected this child. There's this story of resurrection and newness that occurs here, and it's in this moment that she says, you truly are a person of God. She recognizes it in this moment, not in the miracles of the bread and the oil, But in the resurrection is where she sees that God is moving mightily in this person. And so time goes on. In the third year, Elijah prophesies that the drought will end just as he had prophesied three years earlier, that it will be three years and the drought will be over. But by this time, society has, in a sense, begun to uh, disintegrate and fall apart. And Ahab and Jezebel are trying to keep it all together. But to do this, they're investing in false prophets who are telling them what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. And by the time that Elijah declares that the drought is over, there's over 450 prophets of Baal and 450 prophets of Asherah. And Elijah calls a contest, in a sense, to save those within his faith group because they had been executing and persecuting all of the prophets of the Lord, of the Most High God, of Yahweh. And he calls a contest. And he says to Ahab and Jezebel, he says, Bring your prophets here, and I'll meet them there. And we'll both build an altar. And then we'll sacrifice the oxen. And then we'll call upon our respective deities. And the God who responds by fire, that is God. And they agree. And hundreds, almost a thousand of these false prophets show out. And the Hebrew people come out. And their hearts had been turned away from God for quite some time. They were desperate and hurting people. And they're looking for hope, but all their hope is in the false promises that these prophets are telling them. And so they're there, they're the spectators. And the false prophets, the Balaam prophets, begin first. They build an altar. And they put the kindling on it. They slaughter the oxen. They put the ox on it. And then they begin to cry out to God. Or they begin to cry out to Baal. And they say, Baal, answer by fire. We are faithful to you. Show them that you're the true God. And they're crying out and crying out. And hour after hour is passing. And Baal doesn't respond. And Elijah begins to mock them. Elijah says, maybe Baal is sleeping. Maybe Baal went on vacation. Maybe he's away on a long journey. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Where's your God? And then, as was their custom, they began to harm themselves. And that went on for some time. And finally, they conceded that there was nothing that they could do. The Baal wasn't going to respond. And so Elijah, the lone prophet, steps forward and he takes 12 stones. One for each of the tribes of Israel. And I imagine as he took each of them, people could see themselves in those stones being restored, being put together again. Some holding others up and some being held by others. Those from the tribe of Judah and Reuben and Naphtali and Ephraim and Manasseh. And each of them looking and saying, that's my stone. I'm being restored. I'm being put back into the place that God would have me. So their heart is already beginning to turn away from the bells and towards the one true God. And then Elijah puts the kindling up. Then he chops up the oxen. He puts the oxen on it. Then he digs a big trench. And he pours this water all over it. And it's just soaked. It's saturated with water. And he prays. We don't know exactly the words of his prayer, but I imagine it's something like, not our way, O God, but Your way. Reveal Your power and Your purpose for us. Come now, O Holy One. A simple prayer of the heart calling out to God a heart that's true because God sees the heart. It's not the lip service and the many words, but it's what's in our heart that God sees and what God values. And He sees the heart of Elijah. And the Scripture says that the the fire came down and it consumed the oxen and it consumed the kindling and it consumed, they said it lapped up, like licked up all the water that was in the trench, and it even consumed the stones. In the Talmud, which is an ancient Jewish commentary on the Hebrew scriptures, about 2,000 years old itself, it's so old that it has a commentary on it, and that there's a commentary even on that commentary. And uh, and the Talmud says that the, the fire came in the form of a lion Like the Lion of Judah is how I would understand it, in a sense. And turn the hearts of the people back to God. Now, this isn't a great pacifist um, sermon at all, because we would hope Elijah would then come and say, oh, right, now change your mind and change your heart and walk in the way of peace. Instead, he had them executed. They were all executed. It's what the the scriptures tell us happened. And Jezebel is enraged. And she says, I'm going to kill you by the end of the day, Elijah. You're going to be dead. Threatensome. If you've ever been threatened, it doesn't feel good. You may have to look way back to middle school. But if you remember ever being taunted or tormented or feeling like someone's after you, imagine the, the head of your nation And I'm sending out armies after you and pursuing you. And so he flees. And we find him depressed. And he goes into the wilderness. And he says, God, just take my life. There's nothing more that I can do. I've done everything that I can do. I'm so zealous for you. I love you so much, oh God. I want to just lift up your name for all time so that people would see your power and your purpose and your love for everyone. He says, there's nothing more that I can do. And he just sleeps. Imagine he's exhausted. And he just crashes. And some time goes on. And depending on the translation, an angel or the word of God appears... To Elijah in the wilderness. Wakes him up. Wake up, Elijah. Time to wake up. It reminds me of when I was a little boy in seventh grade and my mom and I were living at my uncle Carrie's, who was a new gym teacher, and he was also newly married. And we were in a pretty rough spot ourselves, And we were sleeping in an air mattress in their extra room. And my uncle was a really joyful person. He was a gym teacher, so he had a lot of enthusiasm. And I remember him saying each morning, get your head out of bed. And he would sing it, and I would just feel this joy, and I would feel like this, this love and this comfort, even though I was in a, in a rough spot. Me and my mom were in a tough spot. Um, he brought some joy in. And when I read this passage, I imagine the angel, maybe isn't saying a little rhyme like that, but is saying comforting words because we read it. The angel says, Wake up, Elijah. I got you some cake. We know Elijah loves cake. Everywhere we read about Elijah, he's eating cake. It's probably flatbread or something, but the translations always say cake. And there's water there, and he eats the cake, and he drinks the water, and he goes back to sleep. And the angel just stays there, just close, just close to this hurting person that's trying so hard, just with him, Just comforting presence to Elijah. And some time goes on, and Elijah, and the angel says, Get up. Time to get up now. Had more cake, had more water. And he said, Now you are strengthened for the journey. And he journeyed for 40 days and 40 nights. Many say he was fasting. He'd only had that cake and that water, and that sustained him. And the angel says, go to this place, to this mountain, and just listen for God. You've been doing so much. Now we just want you to go to this place and just sit and just listen. And Elijah goes to this place and just listens. And that's what brings us to our passage that we read today. The stillness. And he's on the mountaintop and there's an earthquake and everything is shaking and quaking. Scripture says, but God wasn't in the earthquake. Then there was a whirlwind, like a tornado. Everything flying around everywhere. But God wasn't in the whirlwind either. And there are some other things that happened. But then the most literal translation says, there was a sheer silence. You can't hear anything. And then came the still small voice, that comforting voice, but that bold voice with direction. And God essentially tells Elijah, Your journey is almost done. You're coming with me. We're going to go into a chariot. You and Enoch are the only ones who are not going to face an earthly death. You're going to go to the whirlwind with me. But first, you have one last task. And he has him anoint two kings of two different nations. One of Aram, who becomes a great empire. And as a historical figure, Um, I believe his name is Hazael. And then he has him anoint Jehu as the king of Israel. So there are new kings who are going to usher in a reign that's not so violent, that's not so terroristic. And then he says, and I want you to go and anoint a next prophet. There's a succession plan. And he anoints Elisha. so however the spirit might be speaking to us through this story It's an ancient sacred story where we can find our selves sometimes and sometimes it just may seem so distant but i pray that god ministers to us in this season of fire in this pentecost season that our zeal might increase for the most holy the holy one the one who reigns over all creation may our faith be bolstered. And in that bolstering, may we rest in God's presence and be renewed and refreshed to accomplish all that God is calling us to. Let us pray. Holy One, we praise you and bless your name. And we thank you for your sacred word, O God. We pray that you just continue to speak to us and through us by your spirit we love you and we bless you we pray these things in jesus name amen we'll have a song in a moment but let's just take a, a minute or so and we can sit in silence if you would like or if you would like to reflect and share because the spirit continues to move it's fine for that as well so take about a minute Stand as you're able, and turns number five seventy-nine.